Our text this morning is from Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Uh, You can find this on page 790 in the Bibles uh, placed on the chairs in front of you. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, John. Well, good morning. I am uh, Ransom Kent and the pastor here, and we are uh, very near the end of our series for the summer. Uh, We only, I think, counting this one, four more books in the Minor Prophets to go through. And so uh, here we are in Zephaniah. That's a fun one. Uh, Listen, a little bit of background. A little bit of background. Uh, If you remember from last summer, we did a series called The Kings of Summer. So if you want to know more about King Manasseh, which I'll talk about just briefly here, you can go back and listen to that. But Manasseh was a king of Judah, the line of David, and he was a really not great guy. Okay, so he was so not great that when you wanted to say that a king was bad after him, you said that king uh, committed the sins of Manasseh. He was that bad. He basically became a bad word. Um, Well, he had a son, uh, and his son was murdered very early on in his reign. He was also not a great fella. Uh, And then his grandson, Josiah, became king basically at the age of eight. Uh, Josiah uh, was uh, raised by... I think in hiding uh, in the temple, and so he, he appreciated God. He loved God. And during his reign, they rediscovered uh, the law of Moses, which had been lost for a very long time. And after reading it and studying it and implementing it, they had this grand revival. Okay, so, so during the reign of Josiah, the kingdom of Judah came back to God. It was a great thing. And so I tell you all this because Zephaniah is prophesying during that time. He is alive Uh, He is prophesying during the time of Josiah. As a whole, uh, the book of Zephaniah has one major theme. It's this thing called the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord. Um, There's two ways of experiencing the Day of the Lord, according to anybody that talks about it. Either it's this terrifying, awful day of bloodshed and gore and awfulness, okay? Or it's a day of great rejoicing. Um, 
And, and so there, there, the Bible doesn't make it unclear about how to experience it one way or the other. The, the basic idea is this. If you are a rebel against God, it is the first one. It's terrifying. It's not a good thing to arrive at the day of the Lord. But if you, are, if you belong to God, if God has rescued you, if God has redeemed you, the day of the Lord is this fantastic day of celebration. And so what we have in this passage that John read for us uh, is a description of, of, of reasons why we should rejoice. If we are redeemed by God, why should we rejoice in the day of the Lord? And so what we're going to do is look at, those, uh, look at that passage, and we have some real-time reasons for us as Christians to redeem, excuse me, to rejoice in our redemption. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump in to Zephaniah. Lord, thank you for this place. Thank you for these people. Thank you for Zephaniah. Thank you for Josiah. Even thank you for Manasseh. Thank you, Lord, for the history of your people recorded for our benefit. And I just pray this morning that you would open our hearts, challenge us in new ways. This morning, I pray... Uh, that, that we would understand you better this morning from your, from your word, that we would even possibly, Lord, for many of us, get a glimpse of something new in our relationship with you. If we're up to me and my power, those things couldn't happen. And so I'm thankful, Lord, that we rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so in that power and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm not going to dwell on it, but we do have to talk a little bit about why the day of the Lord is so scary for some. And so we're going to start there. We're not going to be there long. Um, but in uh, Zephaniah, uh, there is this thing, the day of the Lord, and it's this horrendous day of judgment against all evil. It's horrendous. If, if you are uh, counted alongside evil, it is a bad day. Uh, we talked about this two sermons ago. This is not because God is a meanie or because God is just flying off the handle. No, this is a result of God's unstoppable justice. God's unstoppable justice. God is just, and therefore anyone who is just, we get this in our culture. When we see an injustice, we call everyone to react correctly. So God, being the most just, the source of justice, must react rightly, must react in a measured way against evil, and this is what it looks like. From Zephaniah 1, the great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. I mean, the adjectives just keep going, right? You think it's going to stop eventually, but it doesn't. It's a really not great day. It's not a great day. Dark and gloomy. Wrath, distress, anguish. So this is a day, the day of the Lord is a day when injustice will be judged by God and the rebels against God cannot be saved. There's no turning back. It says here that even the mighty man will cry aloud. So we can't save ourselves by our own might. It says a few verses later, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. Nothing we can do in our power, in our resources, can cause us to avoid this thing. And the bad news, the really bad news for everybody here, everybody listening online, everybody driving past, whatever they're doing today, the bad news is that we cannot escape it. Why? Because we are rebels against God, every single one of us. We're all rebels. And so, it's a little bit of a gulp moment 
We all deserve to face the music of our own actions. We all, even if it's big or small, no matter how we seem to justify it to ourselves, we've all done something that has besmirged, that's a word I think, the, the honor of God. It's, it's been a, 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 a sin against Him. And so if we're to stand on our own, in our own resources and power, the day of the Lord is not a good day for us. Nothing any of us can do will allow us to escape it. But there's good news. There's good news. God is a God of mercy. And God, in His mercy, makes a way, has made a way to escape that bad experience of the day of the Lord. And the good news even further is He tells us about it. He even tells us about it in Zephaniah. Not our passage, but from the same chapter, Zephaniah 3, listen to the declaration of the prophet of what God will do. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. And so this, is, this next part is really good news for us people who are rebels. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. God has made a way for our rebellion to be forgiven. And in our rebellion being forgiven, the day of the Lord changes from a day of terror to a day of celebration. The news gets even better because he, we know from reading Scripture just how God has done this. In the time of Zephaniah, he's saying something's coming in the future. We live past that point. What is this thing? God sent Jesus Christ. That is it. That's the thing that was done. It says towards the end of chapter 1 in Zephaniah and towards the beginning of chapter 2 that God Himself will prepare a sacrifice. God Himself will prepare a sacrifice. God Himself prepared a sacrifice. His own Son to what? Save us from a day of doom and gloom. To save us from a day of wrath and anguish because we couldn't save ourselves. And why did He do that? Jesus took on Himself all that wrath, all that punishment, so that we might what? Rejoice and be glad. <laughs> he did that so that we might face a, a reward instead of punishment. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did. And so yes, God has this unstoppable justice, but He puts a safety net in front of us, and it's called Jesus Christ. And so... We're moving on from the doom and gloom here, okay? So just hang in there. Those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, in a sense, the day of the Lord has already been completed for us. <laughs> it's already been completed. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross in pain, He took the thing we deserved, and what do we get afterwards? We get the benefits of who God is and His love and His mercy and His grace. But the bad news is, Anyone who remains in rebellion, which according to Scripture is defined as anyone who does not put their faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done, you are standing on your own and praise the Lord that God is slow to anger and He is patient. And so we're, we're still breathing and He's still calling. But if we remain on our own, the day of the Lord is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And so then we arrive at Zephaniah 3, the happy stuff, okay? Okay. And from Zephaniah 3, there are three reasons, I think, that we should rejoice 
in our redemption. And each one of these has a little bit of uh, not yet, meaning uh, it will be fully fulfilled in the future, but also there's a little bit of now. There's, there's a reason to rejoice right now in each of these truths. So we're going to take a look at both of those. The first reason we find in verses 14 through 16. Verses 14 through 16. We learn from these verses that God, for those who are found in Christ, we can rejoice because we will experience the complete destruction of evil. If you look at verse 14, there's a few different angles you can look at this. Verse 14 says this, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. There's only one way that we can rejoice with all of our heart, and that is if God has removed and killed all the internal corruption in it. We, we can't rejoice right now, even if we know Jesus with all of our heart. Why? Because our heart it, it serves two masters at times. It serves our flesh and our desires, and it also serves Christ. And so at the end of time... When Jesus Christ returns on that day, our hearts will be cleansed. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Our internal sin, that evil that resides within, will be destroyed. The second thing we see here is the Lord has taken away, this is verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again Fear evil. So not only is God going to destroy evil inside of us, He's going to destroy all the evil around us. All the evil around us. And so in, in the future, again, when Jesus Christ comes and everything is fulfilled, what will be done? We'll be done with hunger and poverty. We'll be done with sexism, racism, abuse. We'll be done with calamity and sickness. It says in Revelation, at that time when we're face to face with our Lord, He'll wipe away every tear. Everything that causes tears, everything that brings tears in this life, God has set about a plan, a for sure plan, to destroy it completely. And then verse 16 says this, On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. God's going to destroy all weakness. No more fear. No more confusion. This sounds really nice. It sounds really nice. God... Destroying, completely destroying all evil. Sounds really nice, but Ransom, have you looked around lately? How is God in the now destroying evil? And here's just one way. I'm sure there's multiple ways. Here's one way that we can, see, we've even seen it just this morning, how God has given us a front row seat to the destruction of evil in this world. God has given us a glimpse, even now, church, of the destruction of evil, and it's through confession, forgiveness, and repentance. What do I mean? What is a lifestyle of repentance? What is a lifestyle that, that proliferates good works? It's not something we're doing to earn God's favor. It's not something we're doing to, for God to be impressed with us. No, if we have those things, if we are confessing our sins and repenting of our sins, if we are doing what God commands us to do, these are fruits of salvation. They're proof that God destroys evil. Remember a few sermons ago, we talked about how God has attentive love when He calls out our sin and shows us our sin. It's not so He can rub our noses in it. He's doing that out of love for us. He's saying, look at this thing that, that, that doesn't help you, that only hurts you. In love, I want to destroy it. That's a front row seat that we have in each and every one of our lives to watch God destroy 
evil. Praise his name. Praise his name. And so when we are shown our sin, those are some hard times, are they not? When we are shown our sin, when we're discovered in our sin, man, that's embarrassing. That is hard. That is shameful. But here's the thing. To understand what God is doing, to understand his love for you, the wrong thing to do or the, the, the foolish thing to do is to try and hide it away, scurry it away. No, 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 nothing to see here. What's the right thing to do? What's the, the, the sensical thing to do? Because God loves us and He's showing us our sin out of love and it's a front row seat. It's an opportunity to see our sin destroyed. It's to see God's power in Jesus Christ in our life. The, the, the best thing to do is to praise God when it happens. Praise God when it happens. So the first thing we can celebrate is that God will completely destroy all evil. So we're going to skip verse 17. We're going to come back to it. 18 through 20 is somewhat connected. It's our second reason to rejoice. We can rejoice because God gathers broken people together. Sound familiar? Uh, verse 18. Let me just read the whole passage here for you. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame, gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. What is there to rejoice here? Listen, in all of our weakness, God gathers us in. In all of our weakness, God gathers us in. You see, church isn't about strength in numbers. It's not about that. It's not even about strength in our skills or our abilities. It's not what, it's not what church is about. Church is about strength in Christ. And for us to have strength in Christ, guess what we have to be? <laughs> we have to be weak and broken. We, we can't rely on ourselves or our own behavior. And so we're not gathered in by our strength, or by our skills, or because we've earned it. That's not why we're here. In fact, a little I never do this, so bear with me, all right? Everybody look around. I want you to make eye con awkward eye contact with someone else. I mean, like, just really lock in. Lindsay loves this, all right. Make, lock it in, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. John's really good at that. Thank you, John. All right, that's enough, all right. I'm speaking specifically to John. That was too, too much, all right. Anyone you looked at, anyone you made eye contact with, every single person, including me, doesn't deserve to be here. What are we here doing? What are we here doing? We're here worshiping God. We're not here for like a TED Talk or something. We're here to worship God Almighty. And do you know what's true about every single person you looked at? They didn't earn the right to be here. They shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. Why? If, if we were to come on our own merit, there would be nothing in our lives that said, hey, yes, please, come worship God. You're worthy of that. Nothing. Everyone you looked at is either lame or an outcast or full of shame. Everybody. All of them. None of us truly have a good reputation. None of us. Not even me. That's the truth. 
But that's, that's the beauty of it is because who can celebrate a God that saves? Only those people who need saving. God saves sinners. And if we're going to rejoice in that, guess what that makes us? Sinners. There's a truth here, church. There's a truth that as we grow as a church numerically, guess what? We're just getting more lame people. <laughs> That's what's happening. So if you're new today, hey, you're lame. Just want to let you know. But you're in good company. So we have seen here that God, we can celebrate because God is destroying. He's going to destroy all of it. He's in the process of destroying it now. He's going to destroy all evil. We can celebrate our redemption because God gathers in the broken. Not the whole. Not the strong. He gathers in the broken. And this last one, it's time to really bask in this. If you've, if you've dozed off, it's time to wake up. All right? All right, Will, come on. All right, good. All right, yeah, good. He's awake. Um, this, this verse is life-changing for me. This verse is life-changing for me. I'm not over-speaking it. I want us to, to take a moment and just bask in the truth of verse 17. Let me read it to you. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. These are words that we can't just fly through. We have to marinate. It's a lot of churchy language here. Uh, he's going to rejoice over you with gladness. When's the last time you used that in regular conversation? I will quiet you by my love, Julie. I said that to her just last night. Um, I will exult over you with loud singing. You don't say that. We don't say that. Here's, what, here's the bottom line. Here's what God is saying. Here's what Zephaniah is saying. God enjoys His people. God enjoys His people. God saves the lame. God saves the outcast. He saves sinners, and He likes doing it. It's not an obligation. He, he is overjoyed in His people. John pointed out to me earlier this week that this is one of the only places that God sings um, and I'm going to follow that quote of John Tyler up with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Sorry, i got to keep you humble, okay? But here's what Charles Spurgeon has to say. Think of the great Jehovah singing. Can you imagine it? Is it possible to conceive of the deity breaking into song, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together singing over the redeemed? God is so happy in the love He bears to His people that He breaks the eternal silence and sun and moon and stars with astonishment. Hear God chanting a hymn of joy. God enjoys His people. And here's where we can rejoice in this now. You see, in eternity, we'll know this because we'll see it. <laughs> so when we see God's face and we're in His presence, there will be no doubt in any of our minds, any of the minds of His people, that God enjoys us. There'll be no doubt whatsoever. We'll see it. But here's the thing, church. We can know this is true right now of us who are in Christ because the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us. Now, at times, it's hard to believe. I'm reading a book right now, and the author asked this question. He says, what does God feel when he thinks about you? And he says, pause and, and, and write that answer down. And here's the thing. Most of us as adults, I actually asked this one of my children this week, and he said, I think God's happy. Praise the Lord. And I pray that he keeps that answer. What do we think as adults? Disappointment? 
expectation, anger, annoyance. I mean, you, the list goes on and on, but rarely as adults would we say, man, God just enjoys me. God just enjoys me. You see, our relationship with God is not this tentative, moody one where every time we mess up, he's like, oh, great again. Oh, great. God doesn't to- just tolerate us. God loves us perfectly and wholly. And I know this is freaking some of you out, and I think that's really good. I think that's really good. It freaked me out. It freaks me out. God enjoys me. How could that be? But here's my encouragement. Don't, don't sweep this idea away. Don't say, well, you know, Ransom, he must have been on cough medicine or something. I don't know. No. Let this idea stay in your mind, and I want you to test it with Scripture. Test it with Scripture. What does God feel about you in Christ? Church, he enjoys you. He enjoys you. I said this is life-changing. I want you to think about all the ways this changes things. It changes at a fundamental level how we interact with God. It's not a transactional relationship. I do, I get. I do, I get. He commands, I don't do, I don't get. It's not the, the relationship we have. The relationship we have with God and Christ is a love relationship. It's a love relationship. And, and think about this. Think of the freedom we have To just enjoy God. Why? Because He enjoys us first. Think about this. Think about how it changes the idea of surrendering your life to God and obeying Him when He just delights in you. It's not a transaction. It's a love relationship. Think about the freedom we have to sing in this place together as those who are lame, full of shame, outcast. Why can we do that? Because He sings over us first. And so what is the real reason to rejoice in our redemption? The real reason to rejoice in our redemption is that we can know that God is already rejoicing over us. And the first chance we get to put that new freedom that we find in God's enjoyment of us is in the Lord's Supper. Surprise, right? Uh, the Lord's Supper. Notice it's a celebration of the Lord's Supper. What are we celebrating? We can recall what God did, what exactly He did. The moment in time He came, took on flesh, and destroyed evil on the cross through His perfect life. A death He didn't deserve. We can recall at the moment where God came to the earth and he, he said, I'm gathering in the broken. He says to the Pharisees who are saying, what are you doing? He says, only the sick need a doctor. And we recall here that God enjoys us. He doesn't say, okay, come to the table. He says, come and eat with me. Have a feast with me. You're my children. And I love you. And I enjoy you. And so this morning, we can come with great confidence Not confidence in our worthiness, not confidence how good we are or what we've done. We come in the confidence of the fact that that God has sent Jesus Christ. And even though we're sinners, Jesus Christ died for us in that state. We don't have to fix it up, polish it up to, to come to Him. He says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
We believe that you have made that profession of faith. You've been baptized. You've confessed your sins, which we've done this morning. God says, with a smile on his face, come and eat. Come and eat. For those here who are still relying on their own good behavior, on their own system of whatever, and they're not relying on Christ, the Scripture makes it clear this doesn't make any sense for you to come, but also it says don't come. It gives a warning, and so we echo that. If you don't believe that Jesus is your Savior, this is not the time to, to have a snack. It's, it's for, for God's people. The other thing I would say that I usually say if you have a sin in your life that re, you refuse to confess, but I would say this morning, if you have a reputation that you're trying to save at all costs, that, that's very much similar to not confessing your sin. Very much similar. So this morning, let's give up our reputation. By standing and coming and eating and drinking, you're saying, I'm lame, I'm broken, and I need Jesus. Okay? Let's take a moment, let's just focus there. I'll bring us back together with a prayer of blessing. Father, even now you are in our midst, the mighty one who will save. And even now you are rejoicing over us with gladness. You are quieting us by your love. You are exulting over us with loud singing. How backwards that feels. That's what we're here to do. But instead, we find out that over your people, you have such great happiness and enjoyment and joy. Praise your name. I, can't, I couldn't make that message up. That's the best news I've ever heard. So I thank you, Lord, for calling me one who is lame, one who is an outcast, one who has shame to be your son. And I thank you that you've called all those here who are your children do the same. We need you to save us, and you have done just that. Praise your name. Bless this bread, not just to our bodies, but also to our souls. Remind us of the broken body of Christ. Bless this wine or juice to our bodies, but also to our souls. Remind us of the shed blood, and remind us of how Jesus stood in our way. Take the unstoppable justice of God upon himself. And what we get in return is relationship and love and mercy and enjoyment. I pray that this time would be a celebration of such things. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.